Come, Holy Spirit. Anoint your people. Pour out your Spirit in this place and glorify your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a friend who's a former mayor of Chigrin Falls, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland. He is famous for telling funny stories, especially punny stories. He used to say, if you've heard this one, don't stop me because I want to hear it again. <laughs> Some of you have heard what I'm about to say. Please don't stop me. I love telling it. I think it brings glory to God and honor to a woman who was very important in my life. I was baptized as an infant at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Salisbury. St. Paul's was and still is a small Mill Hill church. Many members of that church were family. I mean really family. Aunts and uncles and cousins. My maternal grandparents sat on the first row in front of the pulpit. It was their pew. No one would dare sit there but them. They were dead for 10 years before anybody other than family sat in that <laughs> pew. My mother and father, my siblings and I sat in the pew right behind them. That was our pew. The organist was an elderly spinster named Ola Brown. Miss Ola, as everyone called her, was a little scary to me as a young boy. But she was a saint and I knew it. Everyone knew that she was a saint. She taught the adult Sunday school class and lived in a big house that stood on the church property. There she also taught piano and lovingly welcomed all comers. One day in the churchyard between the parish hall and the Sunday school building, Miss Ola stopped me. She put her gnarly hand on my shoulder and said, Fred, one day you will be a priest of the church. I was 15 years old, and she scared me half to death. St. <laughs> Paul's was often without a priest, and my father, who was a licensed lay reader, would lead morning prayer on Sunday morning. In that service is a prayer called the, Great, the General Thanksgiving, which reads in part, that we should show forth your praise not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Giving up my life to God's service was the last thing I wanted to do at age 15. For the next 15 years, I ran from Miss Ola Brown, and I ran from God. Let me have a word just for the young people in the room. Don't do as I did. Don't run from God. He loves you and he wants the very best for your life. I lost 15 years when I might have been learning and growing in the faith of Jesus Christ. Don't waste your time. Walk with Jesus now and for the rest of your life. He has great things in store for you. Many of you know how my story continues. 15 years after my encounter with Miss Ola, when I was 30 years old, Carolyn and I found out that our son Frederick was born severely brain damaged and the prognosis was not good. I had been reared in the church and we sought solace there.
What we found was a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We were reconciled to the Father and filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, we began to see miracles in Frederick's life. Ten years later, 25 years after Ola Brown laid her hand on my shoulder, I was ordained a priest of the church. It will be 36 years this coming Saturday, July 14th, since my ordination to the priesthood. Thanks be to God for his mercy to me, for his prophetic calling. In the years since, I have come to believe that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is also the giver of gifts to the body of Christ. I believe that in every church, in every gathering of Christian men and women, God has put the gifts and ministries for that church, for that fellowship, to do what God is calling it to do. What God commands, he enables. It is clear to me that Miss Ola Brown was a prophet, a prophetess if you prefer. What she said of me came to be fulfilled, and I trust in some small way, at least, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. I am so grateful for the life and the bold ministry of Ola Brown. I'm calling this sermon a call to prophesy because I believe not only that God has put in the church those gifts and ministries for the church to do what it is called to do, but because I believe that every man, woman, and child who is called to faith in Jesus Christ is also called to exercise their gifts and ministries within the body of Christ, to live prophetically. None of us is called to sit on his or her hands and watch the kingdom of God. We're all called to serve, not to observe. Prophecy is by no means the only gift the Holy Spirit is given to the body of Christ but is certainly one of the most needed and valued. The Apostle Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthians, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. We must understand that prophecy is not just foretelling, not just telling what is to come, but it is forthtelling. Proclaiming the wonderful works of God. Proclaiming the good news of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing builds up the church like the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. Our pastoral search committee is looking for a new rector for King of Kings. Whether they know it or not, they're looking for a prophet. Someone to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. One to represent God to the people to stand before the people on behalf of God. That is the primary function and calling of pastoral ministry in the Anglican church, in any church. Sunday by Sunday, he will be called upon to preach the gospel. He will be called to prophesy. We can hope that he will also be a gifted intercessor, one to represent the people to God, to stand before God on behalf of the people. He may also be a gifted administrator or have a number of other gifts and strengths, but he will not be perfect. He will not be gifted in everything. 
He will not be able to carry the whole load by himself, nor should he be expected to do so. Some of us will have to take up the slack. Look with me now at today's scripture readings. Let's see what the Bible has to say about the call to prophesy. In Ezekiel chapter 2, God calls the prophet Ezekiel. Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impotent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. One of the chief roles of a prophet is to speak the word of God into the spiritual context in which the people live. To say, thus says the Lord. Prophets are to call the people to repentance and obedience. Beloved, that is a scary thing. But the prophet must be bold and willing to speak into any situation. Whether they hear or refuse to hear, the people must know that a prophet has been among them. Furthermore, Ezekiel is told not to be afraid of what the people do to him. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions, do not be afraid of their words. Do not be dismayed at their looks. Whatever the cost, Ezekiel was called to speak the word of God to the people, to do so boldly and without fear. If our new rector is faithful to his calling to prophesy, he will say, thus says the Lord. He will therefore almost certainly offend some of us sinners. Beloved, pray for our new rector and for the pastoral search committee as they seek to find the man whom God has chosen to speak his word to us. I suspect that every true prophet has prayed the prayer that the psalmist prayed in Psalm 123. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Be careful, beloved, that we do not show contempt or scorn for those who are called to preach the gospel, to boldly proclaim the word of God, to call us to repentance and to faith. Look now at the New Testament lesson from 2 Corinthians 12. Paul's apostolic ministry was a high calling. He was given revelations that, should, that could not be shared. He chose to keep confidence rather than boast of the knowledge he was given. We must likewise know that our new rector can keep confidence. He must not be boastful. He must not share things told him in confidence. I remember a meeting of the Columbia, South Carolina chapter of Full Gospel Businessmen. We had a speaker from Indonesia. He had been afflicted with polio and walked with considerable effort and some discomfort. As he stood to speak, someone sitting near me said, he's not such a powerful speaker. 
Another replied, you don't have to say much when you're hanging on a cross. So Paul boasted, not of his revelation, not of his knowledge, but of his weakness. He wrote, so to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in, in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You can be sure that our new rector will have his weaknesses, but we must be certain that he does not suffer insults, hardships, and persecutions brought on by us. Some may find fault, but fault-finding is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. Our new rector and the rest of the staff, for that matter, should be well-paid, supported in prayer, and lovingly cared for. Yet a true prophet, like St. Paul, can expect some insults, hardships, and persecutions. We must look beyond our new rector's weaknesses to see the power of Christ at work in him. So now we come to the gospel lesson from the sixth chapter of Mark. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get this, these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Moses had prophesied, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Jesus was the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy, a brother to all mankind. But the people in his hometown, his own family, didn't want to listen to him. They took offense at Jesus' prophetic ministry. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? Jesus had emptied himself of his divine glory. He became a man. He worked in the carpenter's shop with his father, Joseph. He, like most of us, was known by his family and by the company he kept. 
And though the people acknowledged his wisdom and his mighty works, they rejected him. Who does he think he is? He's just one of us. No one special, no one important. Jesus was a prophet, a priest, and a king. As a prophet, he came to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. As a priest, he came to make a sacrifice for sin, to shed his own blood on a Roman cross. As a king, he came to rule in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. But the people in his own town took offense. I can assure you that if you do faithfully what God is calling you to do, someone will take offense. Count on it. And yet faithful obedience to God's calling is exactly what he asks of us. Even Jesus was limited by their, own, by their unbelief. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. We have looked at the calling of Ezekiel. From his calling, we learn that whether the church hears or refuses to hear, they need to know that a prophet has been among them. From the psalmist, we learn not to show contempt or scorn for those who are called to preach the gospel, to call us to repentance and faith. We have looked at the ministry of St. Paul. From Paul, we learn that a prophet can expect insults, hardships, and persecutions. And we learn that God's grace is sufficient, that God's power is made perfect in the prophet's weakness. We have looked at the ministry of Jesus. From his lips, we learn that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. We found that through the, though the people acknowledged his wisdom and his mighty works, they nonetheless rejected him. We have spoken briefly of the calling of our, and ministry of our new rector. But as far as I can see, he's not in the room. I'm not preaching to him. You are here, and I'm asking you plainly, are you ready to shoulder the calling God has upon your life? Are you willing to suffer the insults, hardships, and persecutions that will surely follow a bold response to the calling and ministry that God has given you. We live in a post-Christian society, a pluralistic society. But the greatest need of a pluralistic society is a clear articulation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To do so boldly will surely be costly, but the rewards are immense, and they are eternal in the heavens. In the early 1980s, Carolyn and I were invited to attend the Billy Graham crusade and the evangelism school that preceded it. During that evangelism school, we heard a great preacher, the Reverend E.V. Hill. His message was simple. Report for duty. Beloved, if King of Kings is going to be the church God created us to be, it is essential that each of us respond to the call upon our lives. Frankly, our success, success as a church depends more upon us than it does upon our new rector. Though getting that right is certainly as important 
and needs much prayer, the question remains, what is God calling us, each of us individually, to do? What is he calling you to do? Will you do it? Some will, in fact, be called a prophecy to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some will be called to teach, to lead a Bible study or a Sunday school class. Some will be called to pray, to intercede for the church or for others. Some will be called to show hospitality, to welcome others into their homes. Some will be called to set up chairs or the altar. Whatever our calling, it is, our, it is essential that we report for duty. Are you ready? Let's pray together.